everyone, this is your host, Brittany, and thank you for joining me on this week's episode of PCAT and Pre-Pharmacy Podcast, where we talk about everything pharmacy from the pre-pharmacy journey to life after pharmacy school. This week, my guest is a consulting pharmacist who also has a public health background. During the interview, we speak on some points on how public health and pharmacy can be combined to tackle preventative health measures, ways students can get involved if they're interested in consulting, and so much more. But of course, before we start, I want to remind you guys to check out crackpcat.com for all of your study materials. And also, for my listeners, I have a special discount code, which is podcast for 10% off the CrackPCAT software. All you have to do is enter podcast in the discount section during checkout. So make sure you check out Crack PCAT for all of your study materials. Now let's get started with the show. All right. Thank you um, for joining us, Dr. Ileka. Can you please uh, introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah. So hello, everybody. Um, all viewers in attendance, East Coast, West Coast. Midwest, um, all over the world. So my name is Dr. Ileka, Dr. Ileka Ifejika. Um, I'm currently a licensed pharmacist uh, based in Los Angeles, California. I'm also a public health practitioner. So I'm also MPH trained um, from Drexel University in 2015. But it's funny, you know, I, a lot of times when people tell you to introduce yourself, you'll, you, people tend to say what they are, what their title is. But for me, I think it's always important to give a, a background of who I am, the why, why I decided to go about even pursuing a career in healthcare. I think it'll give you, you all viewers at home uh, a better understanding of who I am. So uh, first and foremost, Dr. Ileka Ifejika, um, the name's from Nigeria. I'm a first generation American of Nigerian descent. Both my parents are from Aka, Nigeria. So I am from the um, Igbo tribe. Um, I'm one out of seven siblings, or actually seven children, excuse me. Um, I am the quote unquote youngest of, the, of, of, of my family, but I say that because I have four older sisters, an older brother, but I also have another brother who happens to share the same birthday as me, but happened to come out a little bit later than me by about 15 <laughs> minutes. So technically, you know, obviously he's my twin. I have a twin yeah. brother and, um, you know, we, we, we like to joke around and I, I like to say that I'm not the youngest per se, because <laughs> obviously, you know, we both came out around the same time. But anyways, um, you know, even outside of, of my career, I, I'm a big sports fan. You know, everyone in my family, we all played a sport. Um, I, I played basketball, ran track. I had sisters who were all American, all county basketball players, brother who was baseball player. Um, and so that was something that I'm very passionate about sports. Uh, I, I stay up to date with professional basketball, NBA, of course, um, even track, of course, professionally, college, um, and even football, football Americano, and even just football, soccer. So, um, but to kind of piggyback into just why I decided to even get into healthcare. Um, I have family in healthcare field first and foremost. My mom is a pharmacist. Um, I have two sisters who are pharmacists too and I had an older sister who was a medical doctor. But for me, um, and I'm sure you too, Brittany, uh, the way we saw healthcare was we would see it as a service. So you'd see a patient, they'd come in for a condition, a symptom, um, 
you would provide a service, they would go home. But going back to the why, why is the patient in front of us today? What are those external barriers, challenges, socially, economically, geographically, systemically, that predispose communities and patients to overutilizing the system? What does the system look like around that patient? What, are, what am I doing as a practitioner or my other fellow practitioners doing to help prevent this patient from overutilizing the system? So, you know, I, at first I thought that I wanted to, you know, go the traditional, um, just provider route, maybe you know, doing, get an undergraduate and go pursue a doctorate. Wasn't sure if I wanted to kind of follow my older sister, the medical, the MD route or kind of go the pharmacy route or maybe even carve my own niche. But um, again, that why kept coming up. So uh, I got my bachelor's in science in biology from Hampton University. So any HBCU viewers, you know, let's get a, you know, HBCU mm -hmm. in the house. <laughs> and, um, you know, after that, I decided to get my master's in public health, as I mentioned before, from Drexel University. Um, it really gave me an understanding of how the whole system works. You know, who are the stakeholders that influence the system? You have, you know, government, you have policy, you have manufacturers, you have payers, insurance companies, providers, employers, you know, patients who utilize the system. Then downstream, what does that look like? You know, once the patient leaves your health establishment, what's going on around their homes, their environments. So once I understood that, I decided then to go to pharmacy school because, you know, traditionally as a as pharmacist, you know, our, our kind of touch point in the community is, is very important. And then on top of that, just our knowledge of, med, of the medications, not just your allopathic, but your alternative non-pharmacological insights um, really makes us really valuable to the system. You know, people tend to think that we are um, quote unquote legal drug dealers or drug pushers, but you know, I see my work as me being more of a medication optimizer. So um, I had a mentor who taught me, who's also a pharmacist who taught me that um, really your approach should be not what medication I should put you on, but how can I work with you to make sure that you're not on medications for the rest of your life? Or if you have a med list of 20 meds, how can we cut that down to 10, 10 to five, five to two, two to one? So I say all to say that's my motivation. So I, I, um, I got my PharmD from Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia in 2020. And um, upon graduation, or well, after graduation, I decided to relocate to Los Angeles. And now I'm really just, again, being involved, getting involved in a lot of different things that I know, you know, Brittany and I, we, we'll, we'll talk about later on, um, that really helped me answer my why in terms of why I decided to get into healthcare. So I'm currently in Los Angeles, California, and that's, that's me. Oh, great. You, you had me have my, my nerdy side kind of came out with the self-determinants of health. And um, of course, of course. <laughs> yes, but before we get into, well, that's, that was your start. So let's start with the MPH. I, mm -hmm. have, I um, mentioned to you that I got my MPH before going to pharmacy school. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to know, Personally, my plan, I knew I was going to pharmacy school when mm -hmm. I applied for my MPH. I, I knew mm -hmm. that my pharmacy degree wasn't necessarily going to 
work the way I wanted it to work until I had both degrees um because that's mm-hmm. just how I saw my future so when you applied and decided to do an MPH did you know you were going to go to pharmacy school or what was your thought process with that again not at the time I I, I think my motivation when I think I at the time when I um applied to to get my MPH uh Again, the motivation was really just to understand how the healthcare system works. It's funny because I just thought about this. My older sister, who was a medical doctor, in between her third and fourth year of medical school, she got her master's in public health. And maybe indirectly that played a part, but I never really had the chance to ask her why. She's significantly older than me. She's the oldest, I'm the youngest. So we're separated by about 14 years. So by the time she was graduating medical school, I, I believe I was like 12 or 13 years old. So I didn't know, I just knew she had another degree outside of the, the MD. So for me, it was really all about just doing my research and, and seeing if that answered again, that, that why, and it, and it did. So I knew I just wanted to just take, take a step back and understand what I was getting into, what system I was getting into. Where's the future of healthcare going? You know, are we still, looking at healthcare via fee-for-service, volume-based type of practice, profit-driven practice? Or are we looking more patient-centered, value-centric? You know, I, I wanted to understand that framework and really look at healthcare from that 30,000 foot view. Mm-hmm. So from there, once I did that, then I was able to really see that healthcare was transitioning to, again, this value-based care. Um, where you have uh, this coordination of different providers coming together to really look at the patient as the centerpiece of the care. And so from there, I was able to really look at all the different fields, what their unique values were to the system. And then the PharmD just hit me because of the fact that again, that touch point to the community was one thing and then the knowledge of the medications. I don't know if there's any um, prescribers that that will be viewing this, but just uh, hear me out here. So I could prescribe a medication Mm -hmm. to a patient, but if I don't understand the drug-drug interactions, I don't understand the proper dosing, the proper routes, the side effects, what to expect, then that patient's gonna come back to me one way or the other. So as a pharmacist, not only am I able to, at the community level, be able to educate, but to go into a deeper dive into what to expect when you're on those medications, side effects, you know, um, even if you're not my patient and, you know, you just have a question and you're trying to to self-treat, I can triage you in the right way. You don't have to go to the ED for this. You can use this. You can use this over-the-counter medication to treat this. Or maybe there's a drug-related cause towards why you feel this way. So again, you're really impacting the community in a way that I feel not as many uh, other practitioners have the opportunity and the bandwidth to do just based off of their nature of their work. Yeah. So that hopefully that, that answers the question. Very long-winded, but hopefully that answers your no, question. No, I'm, I'm a public health geek, so you're just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm amen over here, so you're fine. Yeah. Okay, so and, and, with, with that mindset, mm-hmm. how did you, 
I guess because we, we kind of have a similar mindset regarding mm-hmm. that. How did you like come into pharmacy school knowing, you know, having the public health background and how did you, I guess, try to match up those passions and what you were mm-hmm. learning in the classroom and how did that, I guess, kind of determine what you what you thought you wanted to do after school? Yeah, no, no problem. So you're in your first year of pharmacy school, correct? Yes. Okay, no, no problem. So I had the opportunity, my first year of pharmacy school, um, one of our choir classes was called Healthcare Delivery. It was taught by an individual who's actually a mentor of mine, uh, Neil Gofarb, who runs a coalition of uh, employers regionally in the Philadelphia area. And the purpose of his organization is to provide this coalition of 50 plus employers with education, independent research needs around trying to find ways to maximize the health and well-being of their employees. So whether that be educating on specific disease states, trying to maximize the value on their on the benefit packages that employers will have for their employees, whether it's having seminars, things in that nature. So it was a good mix of taking clinical insights, mm-hmm. public health implications because employee health community health, patient health and well-being, and really tying them together. So the course really broke down, again, how the healthcare system operates. And that's when I was first exposed to the the idea of managed care pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And so from there, um, I believe we had a guest speaker who um, was a liaison for our Academy of Managed Care Pharmacy or AMCP chapter. And from there, it just piqued my interest because I just saw just a big light bulb. Okay, the MPH, the PharmD, I can see how this comes together because at the end of the day, for those of you who don't know what managed care is, it's really the principle of maximizing quality of care at the lowest cost burden to the patient. That principle can be utilized in a lot of different spaces. If you're a manufacturer, trying to find the best way to develop the most cost-effective treatments for your, for your patients. If you're at the hospital level, you're looking to try to identify ways to um, manage the care of, of, of your patients you know, at the most minimum cost burden. At the patient level, same thing. So um, that's how I was first exposed to AMCP and I had the opportunity in my second year of pharmacy school to be um, the uh, the president of our chapter of AMCP. And then um, from there, just started learning more about different opportunities. And then I, that's when I first got exposed to the, the biopharma industry. Um, I, 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 had got, I had been selected to, to do a, an internship with Genentech um, through the AMCP Foundation, um, which I did the summer going to my P3 year. And then they extended me throughout my entire P3 year. So I just was starting to get more exposure, had the opportunity to present at AMCP Nexus, which is a, a conference and started just seeing just different ways to kind of use my MPH and use the PharmD in different areas outside of just like the retail or the hospital setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll stop there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could go on a tangent. So I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, I can say you're probably like the a millionth person that said something about industry. And so now that's making me 
<laughs> looking for that even though I did well I guess I didn't know what it was completely but mm-hmm. with the things that I'm interested in people keep saying I should look at the industry so I'm going to look at food again so mm-hmm. it's coming back up <laughs> no, and, 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 and the thing is it's not not only industry there are a lot of different ways you can go to you know not even just the, the biopharmaceutical industry you can also you know if, if you're looking more on the 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 insurance the payer side you could kind of go that route, whether you're working for like a health plan, such as in a Cigna, uh, you know, um, uh, United Healthcare, CVS Health, Aetna. Uh, so that, 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 that's, that's another opportunity there too. And then even if you're interested in working with employers, um, there's opportunities to do work like that too. Um, so that there, there's a lot, it's all about just speaking to people who you know have similar backgrounds, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and again, just looking to—I have no problem sharing my in, insights, knowledge to you. But it's okay. all about just you know seeking. Yes, we definitely what, will what talk about. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> what you're doing, and even with your podcast, you're building this out to a lot of people who who are watching who would be interested mm-hmm. in some of these, I guess, quote unquote, non-traditional areas in pharmacy. Yeah. So. Yes, that's one of my goals. I always knew I was not going to be the traditional pharmacist. (laughs) I try to share that uh, with other people uh, so they know it's more than just, you know, it's more, nothing's wrong with working at CVS or anything like that, but there's there's so much more Mm -hmm. that, um, and that can even be the determining factor with deciding, do you even want to do pharmacy? Because you think this is the only thing that you can do is do retail and honestly that's what turned me away from pharmacy when I was first um introduced to it I start my cousin is a pharmacist um and she just suggested that I get a job you know as a pharmacy technician yeah, and she's yeah. like I'll, I'll hire you just come on <laughs> and that's the only thing I thought I was like if this is pharmacy this is this is not what I want to do personally. And then even as a technician, I started working in hospital and PBM and long-term care. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if this is what a technician can do, what can a pharmacist do? So mm-hmm. I, I love to share the different aspects of pharmacy so people can, I mean, not be turned away from it. Absolutely, absolutely. No, you, you made a great point there. Um, I realized I didn't really give you a lot of my professional working experiences. And yes, we're going to get into that. Okay, cool, cool. No, no, so so I, I can either dive in now or, or I'll let you, you know. No, well, okay, so my next question is your current, uh, what do you currently do for work? Because I know you're not mm-hmm. in the traditional field, but you can build yeah, up yeah. to that. Of course, of course, yeah, no, no, no problem. So, okay, um, let me build my way up. Okay. So, I mentioned how I got into, why I got into pharmacy school. I mentioned why I got the MPH. I didn't mention all the opportunities that I did in between there that I helped kind of facilitate that that interest. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so I hope you're ready. This is this is kind of a, a interesting little ride. But uh, so I started out very similar like you um, as a technician um, in the retail setting, but I started in undergrad just really just to learn about the medication, just to kind of see, get myself kind of entrenched in a healthcare setting. So I started with CVS in 2009 and just did it really part-time through undergrad, even through my MPH, 
even all the way through, I think my first or second year of pharmacy school. Um, during my MPH, I was first exposed to an area called health outcomes research. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but basically it's, it's a space where you are basically looking to, looking for a certain outcome, looking for a certain, you know, um, indication. So for example, um, I had the opportunity to, to basically try to work, I worked with a hospital and I, and I, and I did a, a research project where we were looking to try to develop an alternative definition for how to diagnose hospital-acquired urinary tract infections. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how much you know about this or if you learned this in your MPH training, but um, hospitals through the Centers of Medicaid and Medicare Services, there's, um, they may get penalized mm -hmm. based off of certain benchmarks. Mm -hmm. So the number of hospital-acquired infections you have, um, you can get financially penalized and lose money based off um, of or from the CMS, from CMS. So what we were looking to do was we were looking to try to identify an alternative surveillance definition for hospital-acquired UTI infections that only consisted of more clinical characteristics so that maybe instead of it being hospital-acquired urinary tract infection, you, it could have been something like asymptomatic bacteria because mm -hmm. if you don't have white blood cells mm -hmm. elevated, it may not be UTIs. So mm -hmm. basically I, I did a retrospective study where I looked at hospital data for at least the past three years to try to see if there were true, if those cases that were reported were true hospital acquired urinary tract infections versus just being asymptomatic bacteria in the urine. And so I ended up finding out that just through that research, did data analysis using SAS, any, any statistical analysis people would know what that means, mm -hmm. um, and found that we were underreporting UTIs by about 35%. And so that had huge implications for the hospital, you know, allowed them to save a lot more money. So again, it's, it's basically taking policy, looking at a certain outcome, Maybe looking at data retrospectively and identifying ways to determine way, ways in which you can kind of moving forward, maximize better outcomes for hospitals, patients, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So that was something I, I first got exposed to. That piqued my interest in terms of even working in a hospital because I thought, okay, well, I wanna see how, when you're dealing with a, a certain level of acuity, with patients, a certain level of, of a, a, a higher degree of sickness or a higher degree of, of illness, mm -hmm. what that would look like. So I started working at a, at a hospital um, as, a, as a technician. And I did that while I was in pharmacy school. I was an intern at a hospital. And um, that, 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 was, that was a good opportunity to be able to see the retail side, to see the hospital side, and then just to be able to see like the outcomes research side of a hospital setting. And then, as I mentioned before, through AMCP, um, I had the opportunity to, to work as an intern with Genentech in the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. So specifically under um, US medical affairs. Mm -hmm. And basically I worked with, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with 
an organization called the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review, known as, or they're also known as ICER. Okay. So um, basically what they do is for any, I would say either recent drug that was approved by the FDA or soon to be approved drug by the FDA, they'll look at the, an entire disease state. So for example, say asthma, right? Say Genentech, uh, say they, they just got FDA approved for a new type of um, asthma treatment for maybe severe asthma. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I, what ICER will do is they'll, they'll put that, that drug through a clinical and economic review to see how valuable that drug is on the market. And what they'll do is they'll take all the clinical trial data, all the economic trial data. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll seek input from all stakeholders from all over the healthcare space. So PBMs, payers, manufacturers, patient advocacy groups, government to determine how valuable that treatment is to the whole asthma care, you know, uh, care delivery. And what happens is ICER will then set a price for that drug and say, okay, this is the price that the drug is worth. So it's valuable because then if you're a PBM or a payer, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the manufacturer thought that the drug was a little bit more worth a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And maybe the payer thought, okay, well, if ICER says that this drug is this worth this much, I may get a bargain. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, it's ICER is like the the governing body for determining how valuable a drug is. Okay. And so when we talked about like cost effectiveness, mm -hmm. that's where that comes in. So I had the opportunity to do research on that organization, identify how they conduct their value assessment framework so that for Genentech, whenever they have future drugs in the market, we'll be able to best understand how they operate, maximize their value, maximize their rating, and then maximize formulary coverage downstream. So, so, so that, so that was cool too. Again, and another use of like cost effectiveness, like outcomes research upstream to help influence care access downstream. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, I had the opportunity to, to, to work with employers, as I mentioned before. Um, so I, I ended up working with my mentor uh, and I helped him develop basically a, um, an action brief to his employers because what they were trying to do at the time was they were trying to find a way to expand the coordination of obesity and diabetes care, not just diet and lifestyle, but they wanted to also incorporate the five FDA approved weight loss therapies. Mm -hmm. So I had developed basically a stop action for employers telling them one, here are the five FDA approved therapies. Here are their feasible role in clinical practice. Here's the, what the, I guess, the, the concerns in the past have been about treatments such as these. And then four, if you do cover them, here's the recommendations and coverage recommendations on how to do so. And I believe four or five of those employers in the coalition started to adopt those. So, after that, I started, um, I also had the opportunity to do some bio consulting. 
So Genentech is about is a biotech company. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to work with a company called Exenda, where I would be able to do consulting um, in which all my clients would be all the major pharmaceutical companies in the country world. So, you know, for example, your Genentech's, Pfizer's, Merck's. Okay. When they create deliverables, they outsource to consulting firms, such as the ones that the one that I did that I worked with. Okay. Um, and so I had the opportunity to do that. And then upon graduation, um, it's funny, I actually had an, an offer with a company doing similar work. But because of COVID, they actually rescinded my offer two weeks before I was supposed to start. No. So it's okay. So, <laughs> so this is maybe just a, a lesson to the to viewers at home. Um, when, when you kind of have an idea of where you're going, understand that it's not always going to be linear. Yeah. There's always going to be bumps in the road and you have to be able to adjust and the best way to adjust is to sometimes just take a chance. So for me, you know, I, I thought, okay, well, I've worked in retail, I've worked in hospital, I've worked with employers, I've worked in pharma, I've worked in biopharma. I have an MPH where I understand how the system works. I have a PharmD now. I think I could touch a lot of different people than just one kind of area here. So I decided, you know, to, 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 to go more of like the independent consulting route. So I started um, working with other regional co- employer coalitions um, and very similarly doing similar work, um, trying to educate their employers on different disease areas. So instead of the uh, obesity space, I started working more in the gene therapy, cell therapy space, um, more in like the specialty pharmacy space, um, you know, helping them, uh, helping to develop content that they can use for whether it be white papers, whether it be for um, conference conferences, workshops. Um, I had the opportunity to, to lead a workshop on implicit bias in the workplace, um, unconscious bias, structural racism in the healthcare workplace. So just touching different uh, stakeholders. So worked with employers, worked with union groups, mm-hmm. had the opportunity to sit on, on uh, panels um, with National Alliance of Health Pressure Coalition, so the National Alliance of Employers, um, being able to educate employers on how to understand those social determinants of health and how best to develop strategies to maximize their employees' health and well-being. You know, so I've had opportunities to do work such as that. I've had opportunities to even kind of go more holistic, um, you know, teach meditation you know, um, practices to, to my community. Um, so really being able to touch a lot of different areas and using my healthcare knowledge mm-hmm. to, to do so. So um, that's where I'm at now. And I do, I do also, you know, I do also work. Um, I do like also have another source of income too. I, um, I just started working as a travel pharmacist. So I'll be traveling throughout California administering the COVID-19 vaccine. I mean, that's through CVS. So that's just another opportunity to kind of, again, use my public health training, um, being able to help different communities in the California area and still being able to use my clinical um, knowledge while still having the, the capability to do some of this work that I'm doing remotely too. So that's what I do right now. 
was interesting. It was very interesting to me. <laughs> I love it. So if somebody is interested in kind of going like the consulting route or, mm-hmm. um, you know, like more of the research and things that you have stated, what tips would you give them like as a student to help, you know, like build their resume or build their mm-hmm. database or things like that? Before even getting to that, this is this is very important, Brit- Brittany, excuse me. I'm sure you've noticed that throughout this entire conversation, I have been repeating the why, mm-hmm. the why. It's important that you understand your why. A lot of times we say, okay, I'm a pharmacist or I'm doing a job because it may provide a certain level of income, but at the same time, why, like, what is your calling? You know, why is that so? And then once you identify your why, then you can start to kind of identify from there a a track or certain tracks where you can go. So as I mentioned before, for me, my, my biggest why was understanding not just at the point of care, but why our community is impacted the way it is. Mm-hmm. What's the system look like around it? Mm-hmm. How can I, you know, use my platform to, to improve the system, to, re- to, to make care more equitable, more accessible, more affordable, mm-hmm. higher quality, and then to ensure that my patient population is, has the right literacy necessary to be able to understand Definitely. what they're taking, why they're taking it, how long they're taking it to identify what the community looks like and how we can develop strategies within that community, those communities to help improve, you know, the, the, the quality of life in that area. So everything that I do comes with that mindset. So being a travel pharmacist, that's in my mindset, helping employers upstream helps the community downstream, mm-hmm. you know, working with biopharma upstream ensures maximum patient access, market access to the right populations, the right care, right time. So I'll say first and foremost, before anything, understand why you're doing what you wanna do and don't be afraid to, if your why doesn't align with a lot of people, there's someone out there mm-hmm. who, who agrees or who, who's done something in, 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 in that space. And so I'll say, once you do that, I'll say, never, don't be afraid to reach out to whoever that individual may be. You know, they say that successful people don't mind sharing their secrets. So mm-hmm. that, that's the thing. If you're someone who's successful, you understand that there's value in serving others organically without seeking anything in return because your betterment, and if it's due to my assistance, to, to me just guiding you a little bit in the right direction, that's worth it. So I would say in terms of, so that, that, that's one. In terms of resume, um, again, I reach out to those mentors, reach out to those people. You know, they have no problem. Like I, I, I do a little bit of career um, development to career coaching. I've, I've helped pharmacy students, you know, build their resumes to help them get internships, help them get fellowships, you know, help them do their, help them get positions um, post post graduation. So, again, reaching out to those people not being afraid to just show them where you're at because people, again, who are successful will see you where you're at. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say, okay, you're a first year pharmacy student. You should be 
someone at the level of a pharmacist who's been working for 10 years plus. That doesn't make sense. So I will see you where you're at and true people who true mentors will see you where you're at. So I think that that all kind of plays uh, plays a part. Uh, and I would say lastly, just don't be afraid of rejection. Don't be afraid of if things just don't go your way because it's all for a reason. Um, I do want to make one plug though. For specifically individuals who are interested in um, learning more about non-traditional aspects of pharmacy, um, I would highly recommend that you either join your local Academy of Managed Care Pharmacy or AMCP chapter um, because that they're really the centerpiece. Because again, like I mentioned before, managed care pharmacy is practiced on all different levels, industry, you know, PBMs, uh, hospital, retail. So if you're really looking for someone to just kind of give you that exposure to everything that's out there, AMCP. If you're interested in just industry specifically, then, you know, the industry pharmacist um, organization, IPHO is, is, is your go-to. But I would say I'll, I'll plug those two. And that's... That, that, that's all I have right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, those are all of the questions I have for you. If you want to leave some little nuggets for pharmacy students, our prospective mm -hmm. pharmacy students, if you just want to mm -hmm. tell people where they can reach you, I will leave all your information in the description box, definitely. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, so absolutely. So uh, so thank you, Brittany, for the opportunity. As I mentioned before, I, I, I love serving the, the future generation of, of young pharmacists. And as I mentioned before, I, I think what Brittany has done has provided a great platform for students who may not be able to directly have access to individuals like myself to, to seek and learn. And, and I'm always open to, to mentoring, to answering any questions. Uh, so I, I, my only social media source is LinkedIn and that will be in the description below. Um, you can also reach me via email at ileka.ifejika at gmail.com, which I believe would be provided in the description below and mm -hmm. start from there. And you know, best of luck to you all, um, especially prospective pharmacy students with the PCAT. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of opportunity out here in pharmacy. You just have to open your eyes and be willing to, again, not think so linearly, but be open to those forks in the roads that will get you to whatever path you want. And always remember your why. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No problem.